So last night, I talked about how the inspiration for this retreat was a desire to draw closer to the heart of Jesus through the beloved disciple. And we had the first reading from Mass from the second letter of St. John. And this morning, I want to reflect more deeply on the first letter of St. John. And again, John's writing to a divided community. And so as we reflect on his writing, both like in his epistles and in the gospel, according to John, we can see how he's speaking into this divided community. And that what he says applies both to like our experience of division in the world around us, but also to the division in our own hearts. Because the division in the world is a result of the division in hearts. And we certainly live in a divided world. You know, we live like in a crazy, like red, blue, divided world in our country. And we live in a divided world in the church. And his proposition to the community is that love is the solution to that divided world. And that that love is rooted in the person of Jesus. You know, he starts off in his first letter saying, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we looked upon and touched with our hands concerns the word of life for life was made visible and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life that was with the father and was made visible to us and so he's returning to this proclamation of the incarnation of jesus this proclamation that god truly became man and that god truly became man Because if God truly became man, then there's no division between, like, the world of God and the world of man. There can't be this sort of, like, divinity that's, like, out there in this humanity that we live every day. And this source of a lot of the division in our lives or the division in our hearts is this kind of false belief that these two things can coexist at the same time. And when we struggle with sin, we struggle with sin, and people who struggle with sin kind of perpetually do so because they try to hold these two things at the same time that I belong to our Lord and I belong to the world. Like sometimes I'm jealous of new converts because a new convert has lived a life of sin and then they're enlightened by our Lord and they're like, whoa, 
there's something amazing here. And they're able to just like transition to living in this life with our Lord. When we grow up like as cradle Catholics, and we know our catechism really well, and we've learned lots of moral theology, and we've learned how to like split hairs and determining our culpability for things, um, we tend to sort of hold this belief that, okay, I was baptized as a baby, and I received all this grace. And then as I go through kind of natural development and growth in my life, I start to fall into sin. And as I fall into sin, it harms the grace. And I'm like leaking grace. And I just hope that at some point before I die, there's still a little bit of grace left. And we never really kind of, I call it the grace balloon, right? (laughs) And we lose sight of the fact that we can reinflate the grace balloon. You know, because we lose sight of the fact that our Lord always invites us to encounter him again. As if it's for the first time. You know, as if it's for the first time. And sometimes we can get stuck in reflecting on all the sinfulness in our lives. Like when, and I fall into the same thing. No, I fall into the same thing. I'm trying, I'm supposed to be writing this paper, which I think I might be free to write it now. Um, but the paper is basically on um, the problems of living priestly celibacy in the context of seminary formation and how we're forming seminarians. And, but as I'm reflecting on this, I keep thinking about like how much different my life would be if I was formed better as a seminarian. So I keep going back into like, oh my gosh, I was such a bonehead if I would have known better back then. And we kind of can get stuck in that. Instead of realizing, like, our Lord's trying to do something right now. You know, like, what is our Lord trying to do right now? And he's always just trying to reveal himself to us and to reveal his love for us. And so, as John starts with this proclamation of the incarnation, of the fact that God really became man... And that it's real. It's not just kind of this spiritual thing. He then uses this theme of light and darkness. So First John 1, 5. Now this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, we, while we continue to walk in darkness, we lie and do not act in truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we acknowledge our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from every wrongdoing. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. And so again, as he's writing this, we have to imagine the audience that he's writing to. And so he must be writing to people who are living in sin, but they say that they're not in sin. Or they're minimizing their sin. They're not acknowledging the fact that there are things that they love more than Jesus. And maybe they're living in a way that says, well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but I also really entrust myself to the world. I remember talking to my brother when he was young, when he was like 15. My brother moved here when he was 15, and he had been a drug addict, and Feeling out of school, and um, I ended up going home and getting him court-ordered into my custody for the summer, and he had to move to Nebraska. And I remember picking him up at home to drive here, and he had, like, smoked his last joint that morning, (laughs) and then got in the car, and I was making him listen to Tolkien books in the car. And talking to him about virtues, and I was a very zealous seminarian back then. And at one point during that summer, I said something to him like, well, like, you love marijuana more than you love Jesus. And he goes, well, no, I don't. But actually, like, if if the thing he chooses is marijuana and not Jesus, then in that moment he loves marijuana more than Jesus. You know, in our own lives, when we have division in our hearts, there are certain times in which we love things more than Jesus. And sometimes those things aren't morally wrong. Like, it's not like doing a drug or something like that. It's just like, I love watching Grey's Anatomy more than I love Jesus. Not that I've ever watched Grey's Anatomy. But whatever we turn to as a refuge is the thing that we love. You know, it's the thing that we love. And when we live in a world of distraction, there's lots of things that we can love more than Jesus that we can turn to more than Jesus. And again, St. John's not saying, like, if you have sin, then you're excluded, then we don't want you, then you're horrible. If you love things more than our Lord, then you're horrible. He simply says, if you say you have no sin, then you make Jesus a liar. If we can't start from a place of honesty with him, then we make him a liar. Because our Lord came into the world in order to save the world, because the world has sinned. 
And so we can't say that we like are holy and enslaved to sin at the same time. And the beginning of conversion is when we admit our own faults. And so that contradiction is always a sign of the division in our hearts. And in speaking into that division, he then goes on to these sort of words of encouragement. Because when we're struggling with a divided heart, we need to be encouraged. And the light needs to be increased in us. And we need to remember who we are. And so he starts to address all the members of the community in chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you, children, because your sins have been forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God remains in you. And you have conquered the evil one. So remembering who you are, he goes on to say, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, sensual lust, enticement for the eyes, and a pretentious life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Yet the world and its enticement are passing away. But whoever does the will of God remains forever. The world and its enticement are passing away. And we might think about the things that we love in the world. The things that distract us from the love of our Lord. And when I read this, again, just by way of illustration, like I remember when I was a child that I had this like attachment to television. And I would, I would sort of use television to dissociate from my life. Like there was a summer when I was getting bullied in my neighborhood. And I basically figured out how to pass my entire day watching television. 
And it became like a, t- a challenge. So it was like you get up in the morning and you watch cartoons because we only had three channels, right? So it was even more of a challenge than it is now. So I'd get up in the morning and watch cartoons, then switch to PBS and watch educational television until about 11.30. And then you had to watch like some Nova or something like that, like some kind of like really bad, like, like things they show high school students in class, you know. And then watch the news. And then maybe another like weird like in search of or something like that, I think was a show. And then watch soap operas for two hours. <laughs> and then you can switch back to cartoons and go until dinner and then like the news after dinner. And then like primetime TV started and then like, yes, I did it. Right? It's ridiculous. But I spent my whole day doing this. And then, and then I went on a retreat and in high school, and I had this like encounter with our Lord that touched my heart. And I started to value relationships with real people. And, uh, and I remember having this experience of God, an experience of God in community, and, uh, and it was a cheesy, schmaltzy high school retreat. So it was like tech on steroids. And so it was like this week-long retreat. It was me and a hundred other kids from all over our diocese. And at the end of the retreat, they were playing like Michael W. Smith songs. And I was like in this big hundred-person group hug. And, uh, and I remember at a certain point... Like, the two people on either side of me and the two people on either side of them kind of reached over and gave me an arm squeeze, you know, kind of like this affirmation. And I remember feeling like, oh, my gosh, they really like me. And I started bawling. Which is actually an important moment. And then I remember sitting in front of the television one day and just saying, you know what? Like, I want to be in real relationships, not this. Turn it off. And then I didn't watch television from that time in high school until, like, I was in the seminary. And then slowly, because other things, like, happened in my life, kind of more losses. I think it was right around the time my father got cancer that I started, like, watching television to dissociate again. And... And oftentimes, when I'm in that space, I think about, like, I wish I could go back to where I was and trying to recreate that moment of conversion. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we want to, like, recreate a moment of conversion that we had earlier in our life. Like, that happens a lot with retreats where... Um, somebody goes on a retreat that's like a tech retreat or like an encounter retreat, and they have a really good experience, and then they always want to go back and re-experience it. But as I was praying about this, I realized that like our Lord wants me to experience this now and new. 
not to kind of go back and try to like do what I did before, but he has something to say to me now and something to reveal to me now. Like he wants to do this again, but in a new way. And he wants to speak into my life where it is in this moment. So that once again, I could say, I want to choose our Lord and not this false reality. Or not this world that is passing away. And the TV example is the most mundane example, but there are other places that we attach ourselves to worldly things. You know, a lot of people are attached to the news or a particular brand of news. Now, right now, in the midst of the division going on in the church, there are people who are glued to Catholic News Agency. They're glued to the National Catholic Register. Or they might be glued to the National Catholic Reporter. Or they might read America Magazine. Some of you are cringing as I said that, right? I'm going to circle back to that fact. But we can become attached to certain people's interpretation of what's going on in the church right now instead of attached to Jesus and what he's doing. And it pulls us away from him. You know, our diocese has many gifts. One of the gifts of our diocese has been fidelity to the magisterium of the church. But a lot of us have been attached to that fact instead of attached to Jesus. And all of it's supposed to work together. Or we can be attached to a certain identity that isn't exactly the same as the identity of Jesus. You know, I was once with a group of brother priests, and there was a strategic planning going on. And one of the questions was, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Like, why are you here? And the answers that went around the room were kind of like, I do what I do because it's what I was told to do. I do what I do because obedience to the bishop guarantees I'm not going to do something wrong. I do what I do because I like things to be neat and clean and T's crossed and I's dotted. I do what I do because it gives me a sense of control over my life. Like one person in the room said, I do what I do because Jesus wants me to do it. And if we're walking in that space of, I do what I do because Jesus wants me to do it, like we're going to be orthodox and we're going to do like all of the right things. But we might find that we're doing it out of love. Not that we're doing it out of love. I once asked a couple of seminarians a question about chastity, and I said, 
And this can apply to any of our lives when we think about like living lives of integrity or you know, our own integration in the area of, of living chaste lives according to our state in life. And I asked them, so when you think about celibacy, celibacy for you, is it a good for you? Or is it a discipline that you have to follow in order to be able to do the things that a priest does? Father, I've never really thought about that before. But it's an important question. Like, do you do it because it's good for you? Or do you do it because it's a discipline that you have to follow in order to do the things that a priest does? Because... If it's not a good, then it's never going to be chosen for its own sake. The same thing could apply to married people in asking, like, why do you do NFP? Do you do it because it's a good for you, or do you do it because it's what the church asks of you so that you can avoid sin? Like, that's kind of the minimum. But staying in a place of openness and surrender to our Lord and making space in your heart for our Lord and allowing our Lord to be in charge of your marriage and in charge of your life and in charge of your fertility, like that's a good. Because there's something in that of choosing Jesus and surrendering to the light. It's what John talks about when he talks about walking in the light. Walking in the truth. The way that we may be sure that we know him is to keep his commandments. And when we hear that, we might interpret it as, okay, if I keep his commandments, then I'll know him. But he doesn't say the way to know him is to keep his commandments. He says the way that we may be sure that we know him is to keep his commandments. And so keeping his commandments is the mark of the fruitfulness of a relationship of knowing him. And the primary commandment that he keeps talking about over and over and over again is that you love one another. Right? That you love one another. And again, he's speaking this into a divided community. A community where people don't love one another or they hate one another, or they criticize one another. It could be the community that reads Catholic News Agency or the National Catholic Reporter. Because that's how they speak about one another. And if we speak about that from a place of arrogance or a place of condescension or a place of pride, then the light of our Lord is not in our hearts.
Like we can have people that we disagree with. And we might be right. But the prevailing sentiment in our heart, if we love them, would simply be a desire for their happiness, a desire for their joy, a desire for union with them, a desire for reconciliation with them. A desire for that person to know our Lord. In chapter 3, verse 19, he writes, This is how we shall know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts before him in whatever our hearts condemn. For God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence in God and receive from him whatever we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And his commandment is this, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who keep his commandments remain in him and he in them. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit that he gave us. And then in chapter 4, verse 7, we go back to that theme of which comes first. He says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God, and everyone who loves is begotten by God and knows God. Whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. In this way, the love of God is revealed to us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might have life through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as expiation for our sins. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as expiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also must love one another. And so in the face of division, St. John points us back to the fact that It's not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. That the first principle in the Christian life is that God sent his son, the Father sent the son into the world in order to reveal his love to the world. In order to give his life for us. That the first movement of our hearts is to experience God's love for us. 
It's then that love of God that moves us in our actions. That moves us in our attitudes, that moves us in the charity that we show to others. And so whenever sin enters into the world, it's a sign that the love of God has been frustrated in our hearts. That we haven't given our Lord sufficient space to work in our hearts. Or maybe for others that they haven't had the opportunity to have the gospel preached to them. And so when we find ourselves struggling with a critical spirit or struggling with frustration or struggling with a desire to control, we always have to stop and ask ourselves, What is our Lord doing in my life right now? What is our Lord doing in my heart right now? We can remember the ways that our Lord has revealed himself to us. but also to look for the ways that he's seeking to reveal himself to us now. In this moment. And he goes on in chapter 5. This is everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is begotten by God, and everyone who loves the Father loves also the one begotten by him. In this way, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is begotten by God conquers the world. And the victory that conquers the world is our faith. Who indeed is the victor over the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. that Jesus is the Son of God.
And so we might ask ourselves, do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, Father, of course I do, because we learned that in catechism. But do we really believe that he loves you, that he loves us in a unique, exclusive, and unrepeatable way? Do we believe that he can conquer the darkness in our hearts? Do we believe that he can conquer the division that we experience around us? Do we believe that he can bring that lost family family member back to the church? Do we believe that? Because sometimes we all can struggle with wanting to do these things on our own. Like, I believe Jesus can bring back my lost family member to the church, but I think he wants me to do it. Now, our Lord could do that, but I think he really wants me to do it. I believe the, our Lord can conquer the sin in my heart because I know that academically, but I think he wants me to develop all these virtues and to do it myself, and then he'll like come because it'll be worth more or something. Or do we believe that our Lord is the source of everything? And do we live our lives in a way that reflects the fact that our Lord is the source of everything? And, like, if we want to know, do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God or not? Like, think about the things that occupy your thoughts, that occupy your mind, that the problems that you try to solve, the things, the resentments that you hold in your hearts. Do we believe that our Lord can conquer those things? Or do we hold resentments because we still think it's our job to do it? I was talking to somebody who was holding a resentment. And this resentment was like, what he said was, like, I'm holding this resentment because I really care about this person and where they're at in their life right now. And I had to challenge this person and ask, well, like, are you resentful about, like, is it that, or is it that you really want to be the one that saves them? Uh, yeah, I probably really want to be the one that saves them. So this resentment wasn't exactly about 
what other people were doing for this person or not doing for this person. This resentment was about the fact that they're not allowed to be the one that saves them. It's in the Gospel of St. John that Jesus says, like, one sows and another reaps. And the resentments we hold are sometimes, like, they're from this place of, I want to be the Savior, and I'm not willing to let Jesus be. Do we believe that our Lord is the Son of God or not? I would hold a lot of resentment in my heart over family members that I wasn't able to help. And then when they got help from somebody else, I had a resentment about that because they didn't appreciate the fact that I was trying to help them. Instead of just being grateful that they got help. Which reveals, oh, there's something in my heart that's attached to being a helper. And if I'm attached to being a helper, I'm not letting him be the helper. I'm not being a child of God. And so having that order right, it's not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. is sort of the battleground of the heart in our modern culture. Because it's hard for us simply to just say, okay, I just need to let God love me. And there's a great humility in just letting God love me. And there's a really like, simple spirituality that's really hard to do, right? which is the little way of St. Therese. When I was a seminarian, I hated St. Therese. Like, I remember reading Story of the Soul, and I was just like, she's just like a bratty little girl. And then I started working a lot with addicts, and I started giving them the spiritual advice. And then one day I like, woke up, and I was like, crap, I have the spirituality of St. Therese. Like, what the heck happened? Which just means doing little things with great love and doing surrendering every little thing that we do to our Lord's providence and our Lord's rule in our life. It's a way of living out every single day. It's not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And it takes a lot of humility to do that. It takes a lot of humility to do that. You know, when I was in Hong Kong last week, two weeks ago I was in Hong Kong, and uh, so I get to Hong Kong. Hong Kong's not mainland China. Everybody keeps asking me, what about the underground church? I wasn't around the underground church because I was in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong's just like a western city. That's now under the providence of mainland China, but they still operate the way they've always operated. And, um, and so I get to the airport, and Dr. Peter Ho picks me up. He's the head of their family life office, and he takes me all the way to my room. 
And then he says, tomorrow morning I will pick you up. Now, he could have said, tomorrow morning, see that door over there? Go in that door, take the elevator to the seventh floor. That's where we're meeting. Nope, tomorrow morning I will pick you up at this time. And then the next day comes. Somebody will pick you up at this time. We go give our talks. Okay, somebody will take you back to your room. Everywhere I went, I had an escort. So it felt like I was on mainland China, right? Because they have communist people that follow you. Um, but everywhere I went, I had an escort. And I remember one day, it was like I had been there for a week. And I figured out the metro. It's not that hard. It's like any city. And I said, Peter, I can, I can take the metro back. I, I can, I'll, I'll be okay. No, no, no. Somebody has to take you. Like, ah, why can't I do it myself? And then I realized um, this is just their way of showing hospitality and it's their way of showing care. And I just need to let them help me do things that I'm perfectly capable of doing by myself. Yuck. But that's kind of what our Lord wants to do in our lives, right? Our Lord wants us to ask him to help us to do things that we're perfectly capable of doing on our own. That's the little way of St. Therese. Like, do you really think she was incapable of folding napkins without saying, Jesus, help me to fold napkins? She could have done it on her own. But she chose to do it with our Lord. And to ask our Lord's assistance in all things. And to ask our Lord's assistance in all things. Because it builds that sensibility that there's nothing I can do without our Lord. There's nothing I can do without our Lord. And the source of the most resentment, feelings of over-responsibility, frustration with leadership, frustration within family systems too, is when we forget that, our Lord is the most important one in our life. And we start to take that responsibility on ourselves. Because if we ourselves take responsibility for other people, then we're always going to be condemning ourselves. No, we're always going to be condemning ourselves. And sometimes what we're called to, if we really love them, is to surrender them to our Lord. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you this, this, this situation that I have no control over. You have to fix it. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. my family member who's away from the church. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. My desire to control my own feelings. Our ability to surrender those things reveals the fact that we believe that God became man. in order to take away our sin.
in order to redeem us, in order to make us a new creation in him. And so, again, St. John's fidelity and his ability to speak into a divided community comes first and foremost from his own surrender to our Lord's love. From his identity as the beloved disciple. You know, and this afternoon, I just want to reflect on how he recounts kind of the first experiences or first conversions that people have with our Lord. So that we can sort of renew that. But not just renew what's happened in the past, but experience it again as if for the first time. And so I'd invite you during quiet time to kind of read this first letter of St. John in its entirety, just kind of looking at those themes and reflecting on like where you're at in your own life. And to look at the first five chapters of John's gospel over the course of you know the next day or two, or however much of it you get through, however much speaks to you. And continue to ask our Lord, you know, like, what is it that he wants to say to you this weekend? Why did he call you here? What light does he want to shed? In your heart.